The following audio is from our sermon series titled, The Whole Story, Genesis to Revelation. For more information about Harvest City Church, please visit our website at harvest.city. Uh, my name is Scott. If we haven't met yet, man, I would love to catch up, uh, meet you, uh, spend some time together. Uh, but y'all, I want to I want to start this way this morning. Uh, Katie started did a great job talking to us about uh, Good Friday and Easter coming up, y'all. It's only just a couple of Sundays away. And uh, I think a lot of times we need to have, like, inviting a friend to church, like, reframed for us, okay? And so that's what I want to do this morning as we get started is to help you think through Good Friday and Easter in a little bit different way, right? Sometimes I think we we say no for somebody because we consider uh, an invite to Easter or an invite to Good Friday like an invite to uh, come and hear (laughs) this dude uh, speak uh, and or come and like sing songs. And so we're like, well, I know my friend isn't really into lectures, you know, in my classes. And so maybe they don't want to be talked at on Sunday morning. And uh, I don't know if they like music too much, or maybe this isn't their kind of music. And so I'm not going to invite them in because basically, you know, the majority of the time we spend together, uh, it's about uh, the things that we do, right? But here's how I felt like the Lord was reframing this uh, for me this morning. Uh, An invite into um, Easter Uh, is an invite into a family, right? So uh, this week uh, on uh, Friday, we actually had the joy of just inviting Brayden to have uh, dinner with our family, and then he stayed around, and he hung out. uh, Come to find out, Brayden's family used to play the card game that we play all the time right now, and so we play that game with him, and Brayden can smash. He likes Super Smash Brothers, and so uh, our kids just like delight in Super Smash Bros, you know? And so it ended up being like just this awesome invite into our family, and it wasn't just because Brayden liked to do the thing that we do is because, man, like we just got to spend time with him. We got to see him in a different way. He saw our family in a different light. And so uh, the invite, right, if you were to pray on this morning and consider who you might invite to come and uh, come to the Easter reunion with you, isn't just an invite for them to come and do the things that you're doing with you, right? But it's an invite uh, to come and Meet the family of God that he's placed you in to interact with your friends that love Jesus and to hopefully uh, give them a first step toward interacting uh, with your heavenly father uh, who loves them the same way that he loves you right? So just wanted to reframe that for us a little bit. Uh, maybe that takes off a little bit of the pressure uh, to try and, um, you know, do it the right way or invite just the right people. I don't know that there are just the right people, or I don't think any of us would probably be here this morning. Okay, so enough about that. We're going to enter into the Word of God, and this morning uh, we're continuing in our uh, whole story series. And I tell you what, sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, uh, maybe this is just me. Uh, I am pretty quick to move on to the next thing sometimes. Sometimes we'll get into a series, and, and I'll be like, yeah, this is really great at first, and then I'll be like ready for the next one. You know what I mean? Well, this one hasn't been like that at all for me because of the way uh, that uh, it's actually shaping and transforming my Bible reading day to day, okay? So uh, I don't know about y'all, if you're following along in a Bible reading plan, we kind of like cast vision for that at the beginning of the year. Uh, But for me, right, like uh, I am doing a specific Bible reading plan where I'm in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Psalms and the Proverbs every day. So I'm probably behind you if you're reading the the part that's just like, you know, the narrative one. Um, But... Uh, I'm like in Deuteronomy. And so uh, this morning, as we look at Deuteronomy, it's been awesome how uh, thinking about and studying and, and um, going through this series is actually shaping the way that I'm seeing Moses. And so this morning, uh, as we do step, step into this book, uh, I'm hoping that God does that uh, for each and every one of us. So think with me about this. Uh, have you ever uh, like retrospectively looked back on your life in a manner and thought to yourself, man, I wonder if God maybe placed this or that person in my life uh, for a specific purpose, and it maybe wasn't just for me to do relationship with that person, but that person was like a link in the chain for me to meet this other person. In one way, shape, or form, uh, have you ever looked back on your life and wondered if maybe the reason that you met this person uh, was primarily to be a signpost directing you to another person that you needed to interact with? 
the first person uh, that comes to my mind, actually, uh, maybe should have cleared this with Emily first since I'm going to talk about an ex-girlfriend in my life, right, uh, is this girl uh, named Amber that I dated my sophomore year in college. Okay, so uh, uh, during my sophomore year in college, um, I met Jesus right at the beginning of the year, and uh, man, for the first time, I'd, I'd never entered a church for my entire freshman year in Cedar Falls at the University of Northern Iowa. The next morning, I went to church by myself, uh, and things were like moving. The Holy Spirit was going full steam ahead in my life, and uh, so I was going, I started going to this thing called Brothers and Sisters in Christ. It was this giant gathering of college students worshiping Jesus on Thursday nights, uh, and so I stepped in there, and, uh, you know, one of the first people I met <laughs> was a girl, right? Like, you know, I didn't, I still had my head on a swivel. I was like 19 years old, you know, um, that's just how I lived, and um, this girl's name was Amber, and, uh, you know, by God's grace, um, not only did I meet Amber, but through Amber, then I got invited into this Bible discussion, they called it an investigative Bible discussion. It was led by this couple, John and Jessica Payton. Uh, John would soon become a mentor uh, in my life, investing in my life, teaching me how to read the Bible and how to memorize scripture and how to share the gospel with other people. And incredibly fundamental, in my, or foundational in my life. Uh, but one of the other people in that Bible reading group uh, was my friend Brandon. You see, uh, the group met in Amber's uh, dorm room. So it's Amber and her roommate, Kelsey. Uh, and Brandon was Kelsey's friend uh, from, uh, high school. They, they went to high school in Waukee. There was a few other people in and out of that room from time to time that would read the Bible with us, but it was basically the four of us. And Amber was for sure a Christian, and Brandon was for sure a Christian. Uh, I just became a Christian. I didn't tell him. I didn't like tell him, I'm this noob. I don't know anything. I tried to act like I had my stuff together. But it's the first time I was ever reading the Gospel of John in my entire life, right, in a group of people. Probably every one of them knew, but I didn't tell them, you know. Uh, but Kelsey was um, an atheist. She grew up with an atheist dad. And over the course of reading the Bible together, uh, Kelsey actually came to know Jesus. She stepped into the kingdom. And like still now, like these people that through Amber I met, right? John Payton, like, uh, you know, I still get his newsletters and stuff because uh, we support him in the Christian work that he does still. Uh, um, and then you've got uh, Kelsey, like I still, you know, not right now because I'm on Lent. I haven't been on Facebook, okay? Really, I'll own that with you guys. I gave that up for Lent. But uh, until, you know, Lent started, like she's still one of those people that shows up on my newsfeed because of the encouraging things that she posts about Christ, like all the time. In her face, on her Facebook. And so I must have liked it enough times that she fit the algorithm for me, you know, and like it shows up. Uh, but really, it was actually not either one of those people that I felt like, it's the grace of God that I got connected to them. But I think Amber uh, was a part of my life for a short season uh, in order to meet Brandon. Because towards the end of that year, okay, uh, during finals week, I finished my finals and we went out to, I still see it today, uh, we went out to this restaurant in Cedar Falls and I thought we were celebrating the end of finals week, right? And it was like, hurrah, like we did it and ended up, she broke up with me at the restaurant that night, you know, and so I didn't want dessert. I wasn't going to celebrate any of this trash, right? I, I like paid for the meal because I was a gentleman and I went home just bawling, like way worse than this morning, right? Like sob crying on the way home. And I tell you what, you know who's... Uh, uh, shoulder, I went home to cry on in the dorms that day. It was my, my, my friend Brandon Glazes. And if it wouldn't have been for me meeting Amber and having a breakup with Amber, I would have never cried on that dude's shoulder. And I probably wouldn't have thought when I came back to school for my junior year of college that we were going to rock it together. Like that we were going to be brothers in Christ who kicked it for the long haul. But the truth of the matter is, Brandon was my first true brother in Christ. I met him because of Amber, who was a signpost directing me to this friendship. First dude that I ever read the Bible with. First dude that I was ever mentored with. Like John mentored us together, one on two. Uh, first dude that I ever cried on his shoulder. Didn't do that with any friends in high school. Uh, and, you know, first of a lot of those things of a true brother in Christ. But the, the truth of the matter is that Amber was like a signpost directing me to this other relationship, the one that I have with Brandon. And so what I mean to tell you this morning is that Moses is meant to be like Amber for God's people. Moses and God's people are about to break up. Okay, I get it. For them, it's actually Moses is going to die. Uh, but in his last sermon to the Israelites, he tells them that God is going to raise up a prophet like him from among them. 
And rather than seeing Moses as a hero that we were meant to see, uh, that we were meant to like, you know, like honor and stuff like that, we need to see Moses as a signpost directing us to listen to this future prophet who's going to get raised up. This morning, I think God wants each one of us to hear because Jesus is the prophet like Moses who has come. We must listen. The sermon title for this morning is simply The True and Better Moses. So as we open up our Bibles together this morning, would you pull out either the Bible under your chair or the app on your phone? We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Here at Harvest City, we believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, and we want to sit under it, right? Not stand over it and, and decide what we think is true, but see it as true and sit under it in order to hear from God. That's, that's the posture that we're hoping for in our hearts this morning. So as you're opening your Bibles up to Deuteronomy chapter 18, can I just say that Moses was a big deal to the Israelites? And so to, to think of Moses as a signpost more than just like it was for us to meet Moses, that's, a, that's hard for them, right? Because Moses delivered the Israelites from slavery. Moses gave the people the law. Moses was more than just a prophet to God's people, so when Moses says there's somebody else that I'm, I'm a signpost, I'm meant to direct you toward this person, we would do well to take note of what we're about to read from God's word this morning because we can be sure that the Israelites were listening loud and clear when they heard this. So here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Harvest City, because Jesus is the prophet like Moses who has come, we must listen to him. Uh, as we dig into our Bibles this morning, we're going to see a few things. One is that Moses said, there's a prophet like me that's coming. Second, uh, we're going to see this is kind of a, a bummer, but we share a lot in common with God's people in that day, with these Israelites. Uh, third, Jesus is indeed that promised prophet, and that in Christ we must listen to the promised prophet. Will you pray, for, pray with me? God, I pray that this morning, uh, in a supernatural way, that we would be aware of your presence speaking to us, that we'd be aware that a sermon is not some dude speaking to us who took time to write out a talk this week, uh, but that a sermon is some dude, <laughs> empowered by the Holy Spirit to be God's mouthpiece, that God is speaking through him. God, would you give us ears to hear from you this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm trying to get out of the way. Let God do the work this morning. Harvest City, here's where we get started. Moses said, a prophet like me is coming. If you're new uh, to our church or new to, this, uh, the Bi new to Bible reading in general, general or following along in one of the Bible reading plans like we talked about this year, then maybe you're wondering why out of all the passages that we could have picked in the Pentateuch, why do we pick these few verses to look at this morning? Well, my hope is that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide and direct each one of us to answer exactly that question as we navigate through this passage. Deuteronomy 18.15, one more time, let's look at it. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. God's speaking to Moses here. Moses is the one that wrote the Pentateuch. And as we get started, this text begs the question, what is a prophet, right? If he's going to raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, well, first, what's, what's a prophet? Well, we've got many examples. If you were to look in the, New in the Old Testament, uh, you've got many examples, right? You've got dudes like Isaiah. We've got 60 chapters from him. We've got a number of chapters from Ezekiel, the prophet. We've got a short book uh, that's really like, hard to take in sometimes, uh, this prophet Hosea, right? Because of the things that he had to endure in order to like, speak on behalf of God. 
about God's faithfulness, even in the face of our unfaithfulness. So we've got a number of examples of what a prophet is, but if we were to try and boil it down to and, and into one thing, a prophet really is the mouthpiece of God. A prophet is somebody chosen by God to be God's mouthpiece, that through that person, God would speak directly to his people. And so if we're looking for who is it that is going to be this promised prophet, one thing that we're looking for is someone who's a mouthpiece, that through that person, God speaks directly to his people. Next question we should be asking in this text is, is where? Where is this prophet going to come from, right? Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, the answer to this question isn't geographic at all, right? Like sometimes you're thinking where, and then so that's like got to be a dot on a map or a location or something like that. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like we talk about uh, where Jesus is going to come from. There are actually uh, prophecies. A prophet did tell us that Jesus was going to come from Bethlehem, right? We talk about that during Advent. Well, that's, that's not what this is saying, though. In this text, it says that he's going to come from among you, from your brothers. And so if you're hearing who he's talking to, he says it both in verses 15 and 18. You've got to hear that like God says this to Moses. His, his brothers are the people of Israel. They're, they're the Jewish people, this Hebrew people, God's chosen people. And he says that's where this prophet's going to come from, right? So you're looking. It's not necessarily a geographic place, but from among this people, Side note, uh, Muslims try to say that this prophecy refers to Muhammad. They'd say that Muhammad was the promised prophet and that he gave them a new and a better law. And uh, the problem with that argument is, though, that Muhammad wasn't a Jew. He wasn't from among them. He wasn't one of their brothers. So this couldn't be talking about Muhammad. So far, we've discerned that God's people should be looking for a person whom God would speak through to his people and that they should be looking for him to be raised up from among them. But the most telling thing about this prophet isn't those two things. It's that he will be like Moses. Think about this. If this prophet was to be like Moses, he must be incredibly meek because in the Old Testament, it says that Moses, like, so Solomon is called the most wise man to ever live, right? In the Old Testament, Moses is like the most meek man to have ever walked on this earth, okay? So this, this one they're looking for, if he's going to be like Moses, he's, he's probably got to be meek. If, uh, if this prophet is going to be like Moses, then one of the defining characteristics of what this prophet would be like is that he would walk face to face with God. You know, you remember that from the story, right, in the, in the Old Testament? What you see is that as Moses leads God's people, one of the defining things about his relationship and the way that he leads them is that he would go in and he would be face to face with God. Oftentimes he would come out of being in God's presence and his face would be like shining because God's face would be like reflecting off of him because of the way that he had spent time with him face to face. So whoever this prophet is, well, they'd have to be someone who interacted with God face to face. If this prophet was going to be like Moses, they'd need to be more than just a prophet, right? They'd need to be like even a deliverer, you might say, because Moses didn't just speak to God's people. He's also the one that delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. Right When they got up to the Red Sea and they had an Egyptian army chasing them down from behind, like Moses is the one that parts the sea and they walk across on dry land. He didn't just tell them stuff about God or what God wanted to say to them. He also delivered them. And if this prophet was going to be like Moses, then uh, they would come from God and tell us how to live the way that Moses came down from the mountain and gave the law to God's people. You see, there's a lot going on here when Moses says, uh, or God says to Moses, I'm going to raise up from among you a prophet like Moses. And if we look throughout the scriptures, right, I could keep going about the awesome things that Moses has done and how this prophet might be like him. But if we dug into the specific context, right, if you go into Deuteronomy and the stuff that I've been reading in my Bible reading plan, when you think about why Moses is telling these people about another prophet that is to come who will be like him, it's actually kind of like my story of meeting Amber, okay? It's because there's a breakup on the horizon. He is not going to be with them forever, and so he is telling them about this promised prophet who would be raised up because God already knew that Moses wouldn't be entering the promised land with his people, 
Church, the truth of the matter is, as great as Moses was, he was not all that in a bag of chips for God's people. In the short time before Moses told the people about the promised prophet, he had actually failed them in a number of ways. So I'm not going to dog on Moses this morning, but we've got to see some of these things in order to know what we're looking forward to because this prophet is the true and better Moses. Okay, So Moses brought down the law from the mountain, right, from God, and gave it faithfully to his people. But think about this. Moses was never able to get those people to fully obey that law, right? Even while they're on, he's on his way down from the mountain one time, uh, the people are already making a giant calf and, and like worshiping that thing. Moses could deliver the law to them faithfully. He couldn't get them to obey it. Moses had been able to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. I already talked about that this morning, but he was unable to deliver them from slavery to sin. That's why they couldn't obey the law perfectly. The people just complained over and over and over again even though God had parted the sea for them and provided manna from heaven daily for them to eat at this point. Moses had been a great mediator between God and his people, but he was unable to truly bridge the gap between them and God. Even with the sacrificial uh, system that he put in place, there was still this giant curtain between the people and God that they could not go behind without dying. That's what the people are referencing in verse 16 and 17. They didn't want him to speak directly to them again because they knew there was consequences to that. You see, the people had a problem. Even with Moses and a perfectly given law, the people couldn't stand in the presence of God because they had sinful hearts. And what God had always wanted, what he had created us for, was for us to be in his presence, to be closer to him than any earthly relationship, to be a part of his family, you might say. Before we go any further, I want to make sure that we see the importance of this and how we are just like Israel. So uh, think about this. We share a lot in common with the Israelites. We are a deeply flawed people with a deeply flawed leader, okay? I don't need to go into much detail in the second part. If y'all know me, right, like I won't, I won't throw Mike and Kyle under the bus, but uh, you can like just start with me as one of the leaders. Uh, I am a deeply flawed Man, just like these people had a deeply flawed leader, right? I'm a, I'm a sinful man who can be sharp with my tongue, who can be more critical than encouraging. I have self-protective instincts that are from the pit of hell. And I wish I could say that I believe the gospel and stand in my identity in Christ like 24-7, 365, y'all. But I struggle with unbelief as much as anybody in this room. Think about your, your missional family leader. Think about leaders in other aspects of your life. We're a deeply flawed people with deeply flawed leaders. Harvest City Moses turned out to be a deeply flawed leader as well. And his unbelief came front and center in Numbers chapter 20. You see, the people were complaining again, and this time it was about uh, where they were going to get water. And so God told Moses, okay, go speak to the people in front of this rock, and then I will provide water for them. And uh, this is Scott's hot take, okay, on this text, is I just think Moses must have been, it must have gotten a little bit more under his skin, you know, parents, like after your kids have been talking back for a little bit, the first few times, you're just killing it, right? And you're, you're like coming back at him with grace, and you're able to speak the truth in love, but then after a while it gets under your, under your skin a little bit, and the next time it doesn't go so well, right? And so I'm thinking that that's what happens with Moses here, is that, uh, you know, it had been enough complaining uh, that this time it gets a little bit under his skin, and so instead of doing what God had said and living in belief and then obeying God, uh, he doesn't just speak to them, and then God provides water from the rock. Instead, after all that complaining, he takes his staff and he gives that rock like two giant whacks, Okay? And then the water still comes out, but like uh, this is one of the moments that in the Bible it points out of Moses' unbelief and sin. And, and probably most of us, like me, for the probably first five or ten years of my life as a Christian, you're like, what's the big deal? Like, the dude still just whacked the rock, and he gave him water. That's what they really wanted. And he was, you know, he's still doing that. He kind of did what God told him to say. But think about this with me, okay, parents? If, if your kid, uh, you hear of a commotion upstairs in your house, and one of your kids comes downstairs and says, hey, mom and dad, like, Johnny wouldn't give me the this or that, and, and like, no, 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 I just really want it, you know? And, and you as a parent are like, well, uh, hey, did you try talking to Johnny? 
Like, uh, did, you, did you tell Johnny that you would like that thing and ask him to give it to you nicely, right? And uh, they're like, no, I didn't try that. And so bloop, there they go back up the stairs. And, uh, and then you're listening up the stairs as a parent, and you hear your kid go, hey, this is from mom. Boof! And the kid just cracks him a couple of times, you know, gives him a good knock in the face. And, uh, and you're like, uh, there's definitely a difference there. I think there's a difference between just talking and giving it a crack a couple of times, right? Parents can understand there is definitely a difference going on here. You see, this is why I think Moses, as a deeply flawed leader, uh, shows that he has limits. And this is why Moses said, I'm not the final prophet. There's another prophet coming. And he is much better. He's going to be able to do what I have never been able to do. Family, we're not just like these people because we have a deeply flawed leader. We also are deeply flawed people ourselves. We need a leader who can do more than just give us the law, right? My guess is that most of us don't have uh, this problem where we just don't know what to do all the time. Most of us don't have an understanding problem. Uh, for most of us, uh, the problem, the main problem in our lives is that we can't get ourselves to do the things that we know we should be doing. It's like Paul in Romans chapter 7. I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do. You see, we know that we need to be more encouraging, more loving, more merciful. We need to stand up for the things that are right. We need to uh, stand up for justice and, and people who are oppressed more often, but our problem isn't knowing that we need to do more of those things. Our problem is often that we just can't make ourselves do them. I've heard it said like this, the law is like railroad tracks, laying it out for us uh, the way that we should go, but it's unable to move the car along the tracks. It can't tell us the direction that we should go, or it can tell us the direction that we, we should go, but it can't provide the power. Like Israel, we need a leader who can, can do more than just give us the law. You see, we're like Israel too in that our greatest enemies are not out there, but our greatest enemy is in here. Just like Israel, right, most of the times we think that our problem is out there, that it's our circumstances, uh, it's the people in our lives, but our problem is truly in here. And I think this is something that Moses had been trying to tell them for quite some time. Think about last week, right? The Israelites thought that their problem was tall people and a land that would devour them. Well, for us, we think that the problem is those people that don't appreciate us at work, uh, they don't appreciate what we bring to the table. Maybe our problem is uh, some investment that went bad, and that's why we're not doing as well uh, financially. It's something out there. It's not something in here. You know, for them, they had Pharaoh to blame most of their problems on, right? Uh, we have a bad boss. Maybe we have a spouse that says uh, sharp things, or uh, we blame... Uh, our problems on this or that person that we interact with on a regular basis. You see, Moses has been trying to get them to come to grips with this truth. Your greatest enemies are not outside of you. Your greatest enemies are inside of you. For God's people, their complaining doesn't come merely as a result of unfortunate circumstances. Their complaining flows from a sick and sinful heart that loves created things more than the Creator. You see, we need something more than a law given by Moses to deal with the problem. We need a leader who would love us unconditionally. We're like God's people in that in order for real love for God to grow in our hearts, we need a leader who will show us perfect and unconditional love. We spend all of our lives searching for unconditional love, and until we find it, we're plagued with fear and pride. Think about this. Parenting is a great example of this. Long-term obedience will not come from us being parents who consistently crack the whip when our kids do the wrong thing, right? Maybe short-term obedience will come from a little bit of cracking the whip, okay? But long-term obedience isn't going to come from us being parents who consistently crack the whip on our kids. Long-term obedience is going to come when that kid knows that they are loved and that kid, knowing that they are loved, is going to come from us being parents who love them consistently, no matter what, with unconditional love. 
You see, just like Israel, we need a leader who will love us no matter what. And another way that we're like Israel is that we need someone who can truly bridge the gap between us and God. Right? The law that Moses gave his people is effective at carrying out the purpose that it was sent for, but it wasn't sent to be a bridge. It was sent to be like railroad tracks. The law was given to us by God to reveal our sin and how terrible sin is. In one sense, God has used Moses and the law he brought down from the mountain to show us the gap between us and God. He has revealed to us that we are sinful human beings and he is a holy God. And this is precisely why the promise Moses made in Deuteronomy 18, 15 is still relevant to you and me today. Because it's not enough to just know the right things. We need to hear from God. There is a prophet who has been raised up from among you, from among your brothers, and we need to listen to him. Because he is even better than Moses. You see, we're just like the Israelites. And Jesus, the promised prophet, is one who is in a true and better way like Moses. Harvest City, hear now the good news of the gospel. Jesus is the promised prophet. Like Moses, Jesus was a Jew. He came from among his people, from among Moses' brothers. Like Moses, Jesus was born during a time when Israel was oppressed. Like Moses, when Jesus was born, a local leader tried to kill all the Hebrew boys, right? Uh, That only happened like a couple of times in history. That's a pretty unique thing. Like Moses, Jesus chose to leave the royal family to identify with his people. Like Moses, Jesus spent time in the wilderness before his ministry began. For Moses, it was 40 years, and for Jesus, it was 40 days. Like Moses, Jesus delivered his people from great danger. When Israel stood between a gigantic body of water and an angry Egyptian army, Moses stretched out his hands and parted the waters of the Red Sea. For you and I, when we were pinned between the sea of our sin and the wrath of God, Jesus stretched out his hands and opened up a path for us through the waters of God's wrath to safety. Like Moses, Jesus gave a law. Moses gave his law from Mount Sinai with the warning, if you do this consistently, you will live. Jesus' law was also given from a mountain. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. But he told the people, you can never keep this law, so I'll keep it for you, suffer the penalty for you for not keeping it, and then I'll keep it through you. Moses had the sacrificial lamb at the Passover, and he put the blood on their doorposts of their homes, and Jesus sacrificed himself and put his blood on the doorposts of our hearts so that the wrath of God would pass over us. Moses had them bring a lamb every year as a substitutionary sacrifice to atone for their sins. But Jesus gave himself as that substitutionary lamb whose blood once and for all satisfied the penalty against our sins. Jesus wasn't just all those things. He was the scapegoat sent into the wilderness bearing our guilt on his head. He was the rock struck by the anger of God so we could drink of the water of life. He was the manna that dropped from heaven so that we could be filled with the bread of life and be satisfied in him. Harvest City, Jesus is indeed this promised prophet. He is the true and better Moses. Everything that Moses gave in shadow Jesus was in substance. And unlike Moses, Jesus' blood actually cleansed us so that we could be safe in God's presence. Moses left the curtain in place. Jesus tore it in two. No obedience in religion, no law-keeping can cleanse us. Jesus' blood does what no ritual and no law could ever do. Most importantly... Unlike Moses, this new prophet, he never grows weary with us or falters in obedience. There is never going to become a point when your disobedience gets under Jesus' skin just enough that maybe he considers whacking you with that stick. He lived without sin. No guile or deceit was ever found in his mouth. Jesus didn't get mad and strike the rock in frustration like Moses did. In love, he took the stroke of justice so that we could escape it. Harvest City, Jesus is the true and better Moses. 
God was saying that this Savior would be human like us in order to bridge the gap between us and God. This coming prophet would have to be both God and man. Jesus is the God-man. And we call that the hypostatic union in theological talk. He had to be both God and man in order to be like Moses and to be the bridge between us and him. You see, Jesus was the better Moses. God from heaven, born as a man who came not only to teach us, but deliver us. And church, that means that we better listen up. In Christ, we must listen to the promised prophet. Y'all, when was the last time that when you looked upon something, you were so stunned by its beauty, you were so captivated that you couldn't turn your eyes away from that thing? Okay, for, for me, it was uh, the Grand Canyon. We saw the Grand Canyon at sunrise uh, in February uh, with Emily's uh, parents. And, uh, well, actually, they didn't get up at sunrise. They waited to see it later. But we saw it in all of its stunning magnificence as the sun came up over the horizon. And you just felt like, man, it was like a slow motion movie as it kind of like brought it into the light. And you watched. It was magnificent. It was stunning. I couldn't stop like taking videos over and over again because I want to be able to look at it like, back and I wanted to be able to go back there and experience that again and again and again like that thing captivates you when you look on it whatever came to your mind uh, because there is a true and greater beauty beyond it right how much more than if Jesus is the promised prophet uh, should we understand how prolific he is and we shouldn't just stop looking or not never stop looking at him but we should never stop listening to him because a prophet isn't for looking at right a prophet is for hearing from he's the mouthpiece of God y'all think about this with me the Passover that Mike preached on a few weeks back is meant to help us appreciate Jesus as our true and better Passover lamb Right? If, he captured, uh, if our hearts are captured by the beauty of Jesus, we must listen to him. The Day of Atonement that Kyle preached on a few weeks back is meant to help us appreciate once for all the sacrifice of Jesus. If we've truly received the grace of God shown to us in Christ, then we must listen to him. And, and Moses, the prophet who instituted the Passover, the, he led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he told the people how God had commanded the Day of Atonement. Uh, he, he was meant to be a signpost directing us to a promised prophet who gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us obey the law who delivered us from slavery to sin, and who sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven as the greatest mediator between God and man because he powerfully bridged the gap between sinful man and a holy God. Y'all, Jesus is the only way for sinful people between... Uh, for he's the only way between you and me to be reconciled to God. And Deuteronomy 18, if you looked, has one point of application. We must listen. Look at verses 15 to 19 with me one last time here. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him, to Jesus, you shall listen. Just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not again hear, uh, hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And, you know, they had a, a bad experience coming in the presence of God because they were sinful people. Uh, and the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. Our failure to listen will be one of the things on our account one day. Y'all, this passage says it's to him you shall listen. This passage says, I will put my words in his mouth, says the Lord. This passage says, he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it says, whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name. It says, this promised prophet doesn't speak his own words. This prophet speaks the words that God put in his mouth. This is why we should listen. 
Harvest City. We need to listen to God. Think about this. Jesus, in uh, the beginning of John's gospel, is it's speaking of him. John 1, 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is shown to be the living word of God. His words are powerful. Through him, all of creation was spoken to being. That's like interpreted again later in the New Testament in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our, pro- our fathers by the prophets. Like that's how he used to speak to them, is by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. His son happens to be the promised prophet whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So my question is, if we know who Jesus is, we know that he is this promised prophet, then why is it that his voice isn't the loudest voice in our everyday lives? Why then is his voice not the most influential voice in our families? Why then is his voice not ringing throughout our minds while we're at work on Wednesday mornings? Why then is his voice not the thing that we put on our AirPods and stick in our ears more often than anything else? Family, God has spoken and continues to speak to us through his son. We listen to him by pouring over the scriptures, right? Uh, we listen to him by listening to sermons preached. We, lis- we listen to him by reading the Bible on our own. We listen to him by studying the scriptures and pouring over them day in and day out. We listen to him by memorizing the scriptures so that we can call that back to our memory throughout our days. We listen to him by meditating on the scriptures and just bringing it back to mind over and over again. We listen to him by pouring out our hearts to God in prayer such that we could get to that quiet place, that our minds and our hearts would be quieted enough that we could hear from him. We listen to him by living in community with other people who have the spirit of God in them and then humbly submitting ourselves to them that they would speak on his behalf into our lives. We got to check that against his word, but that's one of the ways that we listen to him. Harvest City, and when we listen, we don't just need to listen, but we need to learn from the Israelites' example. We need to listen without complaining or arguing. Right? The people who are supposed to listen to Moses set us a pretty solid example of what not to do. It feels like he'd go up the mountain, he'd hear from God, he'd come back down, he'd tell them what to do, and they'd be like, deuces, man. Like, I want to go back to Egypt. Like, at least there, they fed me better than this. At least there, uh, you know, this or that thing. And, uh, man, they would complain often after they would hear from Moses as the prophet that God would speak through as his mouthpiece. Y'all, this is not new to us, right? Like you've heard me say this before. The number one, probably most on repeat verse of scripture in the entire New Testament spoken in my home is Philippians 2.14 that says, do everything without complaining or arguing. It's not just for my kids. It's for me too. Y'all, we need to be a people that don't hear from God and allow ourselves to run down this rabbit trail of why not or how that's uncomfortable or what we need to complain about. Not talking back to him, but our our first gut instinct needs to be to let it sink in to our hearts. Think about what it says about us if we're a grumbling and complaining people. Y'all, this would be a great spot to start in your missional families this week is just to like have people go around in a response group and share, this is probably the thing that I grumble and complain about the most and then allow someone to ask questions and dig in and see what's underneath of that. Why is that grumbling there? What does it say about what you think about who God is and what he has done? See, just this morning I was thinking to myself, Can you imagine how much more time we would spend in worship of God, how much more time we would spend listening to God, how much more time we'd spend on mission, loving others the way that God loved us, if we were to simply substitute out one of those things for the hours that we've spent in our lives complaining and arguing? It would be incredibly more efficient, you know, for God's people. Obviously, our value here is not efficiency. it's, It's God and his word. 
But we don't just need to be a people that listen. We don't need to just be a people that listen without complaining or arguing. But Jesus takes it one step farther for us in the New Testament, okay? Listen to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49 with me. He says, why did you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when, when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on a ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Harvest City, metaf metaphorically speaking, we're all building a house. You and me, we are house builders who are building a house. And maybe you've never thought about this before, but when Jesus narrows it down to one factor that's going to help us build the best houses that are going to stand up in the midst of floods and storms of circumstance, it comes down to this. It comes down to listening. Not just being hearers, who the word goes in one ear and out the other, but being hearers and doers. Church, true listening does not just go in one ear and out the other. True listeners do not sit at the feet of God in the morning to hear from him and then go and do something else in their everyday lives. People who know Jesus Christ as the promised prophet and worship him in their hearts do not make big life decisions on their own. No, they listen to God in his word. They listen to God in prayer and they invite the counsel of those around them who have the Holy Spirit. And then instead of complaining, which seems to be the natural simple response for so many of us, they do what God has said, whatever the cost because Jesus was willing to pay the price, the ultimate price for our disobedience in our place. Harvest City, if there is one thing that I would push on us this morning as a means of hearing from God in that way, being true listeners who hear and do, it would be the meditation, meditating on scripture. Okay, like Donald Whitney uh, is an author I read one time, and he says that, or that meditating on Scripture is like the application between our Bible reading and our like doing in our lives. I think so often we're just forgetful people, right? Like we read it in the morning, we hear from God, it's really good, and it's not that we like intended to disobey, it's that we don't actually meditate on it throughout our day, soak in it, and sit in that word so that then it would flesh itself out in action in our lives. Obviously, I'm convinced that there are times in our lives when we meet one person and the main purpose of that person in our lives was it'd be a signpost to someone else. Moses is one of those people. Land here with me. Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to these things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Y'all, next time you consider Moses, direct your thoughts to the one who has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Consider Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Hold fast your confidence in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. But most importantly, listen to Jesus. Y'all, one of the ways that we listen to Jesus week in and week out, like perpetually, it's this perpetual remembrance and listening to him is through the Lord's Supper by taking the gluten-free bread and the um, red wine or the white grape juice. Hear this. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11 when uh, Paul was recounting this meal. 
It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Y'all, just a few verses after this, Paul encourages Christians to examine themselves and then to eat the bread and drink the wine. I want to call us to take a moment this morning to reflect on our thoughts, our words, and our actions this week, and then to remember that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death, that it was our sin that held him there. I want us to use this time to ask God to reveal any areas where we've not been listening to him or where you're currently not listening to him. And after a moment of reflection, come up and receive the elements. See, all of us are, in some sense, responding to the Word of God. So let's respond together this morning. There's three ways that respond at Harvest City. One is to stand up and sing from the bottom of your heart at the top of your lungs. Just to cry out to God, man, we, Jesus is better. We want to hear from him this morning. Uh, second one would be, man, there's an opportunity to come and pray with somebody in the back this morning, y'all. And I tell you what, if you feel like, man, I'm not hearing from him well right now, I can't think of a better way than for a brother or sister in Christ filled with the Holy Spirit to put their hand on, their sh- on your shoulder and just pray, God, would you help this person to hear from you right now? And then lastly, right, like uh, those of us who are in Christ uh, are, are welcome and, and, and invited to come up the center aisle, uh, receive the elements, uh, and head back to your seat. So let's take this time to respond to the word of God this morning. God, would you, uh, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, would you speak to us? We know that you're already speaking to us. And so as you speak to us, God, our heart's delight would be that you would open our ears, give us soft hearts. Take away the distraction. God, that's, that's what you've been doing this morning. We, we ask that you would do even more of that. God, would you help us to zero into your voice this morning? Would you help us to see things from you in our minds this morning? Would you be the delight of our hearts this morning? That we, as we go from here, would not be people that just hear only, but we'd be hearers and doers of your word because you are worthy of a greater glory than Moses. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.